and so that was kind of an introduction uh, for her to to kiss. And I I can remember a couple months into our relationship, I asked her if she would ever go <laughs> to a show with me, and her response was only if they reunite with the original members and put the makeup on. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! And of course, in my head, I'm like, great. So that's, she's never going to see a show because that's never going to happen. Welcome to another episode of the Slam Fest Podcast, where we bring the premier rock concert pre-gaming experience from the parking lot to the podcasting airwaves. I'm Brad. So we are upon what is probably the biggest landmark show that I've ever attended and happens to be a KISS show. So as with previous episodes... I'm going to talk a little bit about my history since the last time I saw them. So I last saw them on the official KISS convention tour in Detroit, July 22nd, 1995, as discussed on episode 33. So shortly thereafter, they were on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, actually aired August 4th, 1995. So uh, KISS-themed show, so they had uh, the band on. Uh, They performed... Coming Home and Domino acoustically, kind of leading up to the unplugged taping. But then Andy Richter um, took a a crew to the New York Kiss Convention and had a hilarious um, segment uh, that they went and covered that. And here are some funny clips from that. July 30th, 1995, Roseland Ballroom, NYC. Kiss Convention. Let's go. What are you doing here at the KISS convention? I'm looking for some cheap stuff, but everything here is out of price, but we won't get into that now. And, you know, just see them playing a little good music going on. Uh-huh. Now, what, when you say cheap stuff, what are you, just looking for yeah, stuff for yourself? Yeah, collectibles. I got the KISS dolls. They got dolls over there for $100. I remember paying them, like, 10 years ago for, like, $10. Uh-huh. You see the jacket over there, $250. No, this is just something you No, save, save. I got to save that because that's, yeah. how, that's how our KISS fans are. Anything we got, we just save. We don't save it. Yeah. Do you don't even use it? No, I don't even use it. It's like the, the bell box collecting. You gotta collect them. I don't know. It's just in the kiss blood. I don't know. In the kiss blood. <laughs> you know, the blood. I got kiss in the blood. I see that you're wearing the uh, makeup of the Star Child. That's it. Yeah. And uh, what 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 made you want to identify with the Star Child? Oh, you know, he's just uh, everything. The ultimate lover, the ultimate, you know, male. And everybody wants to be that, man. Uh-huh. And uh, what... Tell me when's the first time that you uh, oh you have a you have a tattoo of him. Yeah. Yep, that's my man. <laughs> so you you know you really committed. You're gonna be laying on your deathbed with the star child on your arm. Just about, yeah. Well, I came with a buddy that really loves Kiss. Uh huh. And do you love Kiss? Uh, I like Kiss. I like all kinds of music. So. So are you gonna buy anything here today? Yeah, alcohol. I'm here talking with Robert. Robert and. <laughs> Sorry? Anthony. And you are? Cindy. And Cindy. And um, 
Did you dress up like this for the KISS convention or were you just happened to be walking by? <laughs> no, for the convention. For the convention? Now, how long have you been a KISS fan? Oh, forever now. Uh, and how long have you been a KISS fan? What keeps you coming back to hearing KISS? Because they, listen to KISS. they keep putting stuff out. There's always something, you know, these bands, they come and go. KISS has been, you know, from 73 to 95, they're always coming out with stuff. They're always being, uh, you know, they're, they're very... Uh, I'm, I, don't know what this, I don't know what the actual words are, but they're always cut. That whole scene is going to... No good. You understand what I'm saying. They keep coming, they're like the Stones. They're like the Dead. I mean, which, they suck, but they're a continuation for the last 15, 17, 18 years, you know, of, of ongoing... Uh, why stop being a fan? So great, some great stuff in there. Um, and again, started to explore and see some of the early kind of rough um, KISS websites. And I mean, I guess they weren't necessarily message boards at that point, but I can remember seeing stuff online um, about the unplugged taping and that there was a reunion um, on stage uh, with Ace and Peter. Again, that's how I had heard about it. Obviously, I heard about the unplugged taping coming up um, at the Detroit convention where they had uh, had just learned that they were going to be doing it. And so anyway, interesting, uh, interesting times. So fast forward to Halloween 1995. So the Kiss Unplugged uh, show aired. And I can remember, so obviously I remember watching it uh, with Holly and uh, recording it um and then i can remember uh so i brought up my neighbor growing up uh, matthew he's gone to had gone to some shows during high school with me so he called me i think after the or during the commercial break after uh the the actual reunion segment and was like are you watching this right now and i said of course i'm watching this so but interesting kind of looking back at the actual show that aired on that Halloween um, night of, of 95, you know, what were the songs that they actually showed? I mean, we've all bought, got the, the CD, um, unplugged CD and the, and the video that has, you know, extended um, songs on it. But that night, um, I had kind of forgotten what they had uh, actually aired. Um, so coming home, Plaster Caster, Going Blind, Do You Love Me? Sure know something, Domino, I still love you, every time I look at you, Beth, nothing to lose, and then rock and roll all night. So um, I still have my original uh, recording of that with the commercials and everything, but here, this is kind of funny. Here's how it actually started. This MTV Unplugged is brought to you by Ford and your Ford dealer. Have you driven a Ford lately? And by Sprint. We've got everything you need, local, long distance, and cellular, to let you be there now. Boy, are we gonna have a good time tonight.
so again great stuff it was it was cool to see them on that show um you know kind of in the in the spotlight again a little bit um and i I remember holly and i both being blown away as everybody was with the rendition of i still love you just hit paul's vocal performance was was amazing um but overall again very cool and i can remember re-watching that over and over uh, again um, after that. So then the balance of that year of 95, again, can remember, um, you know, uh, constantly monitoring stuff online. You know, what are they What are they doing? Are they, you know, back in the studio? Um, you know, what's going on? Is there anything happening with this um, reunion? You know, are they going to do something more with it so you know again can remember monitoring that type of stuff moving into 1996 um so on the last kiss episode i know i talked about um the mixtape that i had made for for holly um and again some hits and misses on there but around 96 i can remember her um coming to me and asking hey you know make me a make me a workout tape um you know upbeat um you know fun songs you know that that type of thing um which i did and here i'll uh i'll read off what i what i did um here again i think some hits and misses again because i think at one point her mom even dubbed a copy of this and it's like oh god what did i what did i do here so side one so deuce give me more I just wanna, I've had enough, into the fire, love her all I can, any way you slice it, shout it out loud, take it off, <laughs> closed out side one, which, oh man, um, again, just not, uh, I guess not paying attention to the lyrics of some of these songs and, and subject matter, but they were up tempo. So side two, I stole your love, hard times, spit, Nothing to lose, let me go rock and roll, take me, domino, coming home, and I. So, <laughs> again, some hits and misses. I'll put a put a poll like I did on the other one um, of uh, what you guys think of, of uh, these songs that I put on here. But um, anyway, um, moving on. So, February 23rd, 1996. We actually saw Strutter again uh, down in Kalamazoo at the State Theater. So, you know, those other times I saw Strutter were outside um, in Des Moines. So this was cool because, again, this was a, you know, a a great, you know, small theater, you know, 2000 seater probably. Um, But seeing them indoors, I mean, that was much better uh, than those outdoor shows I saw in, in Des Moines. And again, I, I think the, you know, the rumored train had started, um, you know, with regards to the, to the reunion. So it was kind of interesting seeing a, uh, a tribute band um, early in 96 as well. So then five days later, five short days later, the 38th Grammy Awards aired February 28th, 1996. So again, online, I you know, I, I felt like I had read something online that there was something they were going to be on, you know, didn't know what they were going to do or when during the show, all that type of thing. 
Um, but remember recording that and watching it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome acclaimed rap artist and Grammy nominee, Tupac. What's up, what's up? California love. How y'all like this uh, Versace hookup? The swap meet was closed, so. You know I go all out for the Grammys. <laughs> y'all down with this? We gonna try to liven it up. You know how the Grammys used to be, all straight looking folks with suits, everybody looking tired, no surprises. We tired of that, we need something different, something new. We need to shock the people. So let's shock the people. <laughs> now, <laughs> these my homeboys, <laughs> and I see just about everything now. <laughs> All right, Los Angeles! Great to be here. I'm real happy to be here to present the next award. <laughs> The nomination for best pop performance by a duo or a group with a vocal are I Can Love You Like That, All For One. Love Will Keep Us Alive, Eagle. Let Her Cry, Booty and the Blowfish. I'll Be There For You, the theme from Friends, the Rembrandts. Waterfalls, TLC. And the Grammy goes to, oh, my other homeboys, Hootie and the Blowfish. We don't, uh, we don't really ever do the long thanks thing, and uh, we did on the last one, so I just want to say thanks again very much. Ellie, thank you. And I've been told I can't talk, so... Yeah, thanks to all the fans. Thank you. And, you know, it's interesting um, re-watching that and seeing, you know, I mean, they come out on stage, and they cut to various people in the audience. I think the... Uh, all for one uh, guys and of course they're they're laughing but then they cut to the eagles um and timothy schmidt i think is sitting there with a a woman and then there's somebody sitting next to her and, and you see look at him and he's looking at timothy schmidt and kind of saying is that them you know or you know is it actually them type of a type of a comment um and then they go through the nominees and and of course hootie and the blowfish win and um come up but you know something else i mean the you know all four guys um you know say something i mean gene <laughs> gene's voice cracking when he's saying all right los angeles uh and then you can see it's interesting peter kind of looks over at paul like you know am I next, you know, is it okay to talk type of thing? And just says, you know, ha we're happy to be here. Um, you know, Ace comes in talking about, you know, we're going to, we're here, happy to be here to, um, 
announce the next award and then and then Paul goes through with the the nominees and and is, then is excited when when he reads that Hootie and the Blowfish won um they come up and then of course the the band just walks off but again you know they look they look nervous to me um Paul chewing gum Peter chewing gum um you know it it just uh it was it was interesting to kind of go back and rewatch that um and kind of look at the reactions uh of of everybody then the kiss unplugged was actually released march 12th 1996 um remember buying the the cd um and then i don't know when the video couldn't really find anything on when the video um got released but i've got that vhs still um, kind of an interesting little making of at the at the top of, of it. So that was cool to see. And then again, somehow, you know, again online stuff. I would assume um, again that you know early early uh, websites, but learned that there were there was going to be a press conference um, on April sixteenth of ninety six, and of course that was I think a Tuesday. Um, so during the week, and of course I was at work, and I can remember whenever that thing aired, you know, right after lunch, one o'clock maybe, um, somehow I snuck out <laughs> of work and got went to my car. Our local radio station uh, was airing it. Somehow I, I knew that that was happening, and so I... I listened um, to at least, I think, the, you know, kind of the beginning, maybe the first five minutes of it or so. So this is, uh, this is part of what I heard. Members of the international press and members of the KISS Army. Yeah! Ladies and gentlemen, now last week when they asked me to introduce KISS, I had just two questions. Two questions. What time and what aircraft carrier? Really excited to have him here, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have a quick announcement to make before we get started. This is a huge occasion, as you know. The four original members of KISS are back in full makeup for a worldwide tour. Everyone's very excited about it. There's a fact here. The opening date will be very exciting. The Stone Temple Pilots are going to open for them. That concert will be on June 28th at Detroit's Tiger Stadium. It's going to be a fun show, mainly because the uh, Detroit Tigers will also be playing simultaneously there in full makeup. So I'll tell you what, sitting there and uh, hearing Detroit Tiger Stadium. <laughs> Being the first show, um, I couldn't believe it. And, of course, tickets were going on sale that following Saturday morning. And, of course, again, this was, you know, obviously pre-phones. Um, um, you know, my uh, my wife was at work also, so I had to wait until I got home to kind of tell her um, what was what was going on and with regards to the, the Tiger Stadium show and all that stuff. So... Um, interesting stuff. And of course, you know, Stone Temple Pilots um, was announced as, as the opener um, at that time as, as well. Um, so that following Friday, so again, enter Conan O'Brien, 
so he had the honor of of introducing them, you know, at the press conference. But then they had a um, a show. They had a film crew, you know, at that. And so that Friday night before the tickets went on sale for the Tiger Stadium show, they had a an episode. Um, and uh, some interesting clips from that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, of course, Madonna is not the only uh, music star in the news. This week, uh, the rock world, I feel like Kurt Loder, the rock world was stunned when KISS, KISS announced they were going to do a world tour in full makeup for the first time since the late 50s. I mean, this hasn't happened in a long time. And uh, you, you were, I mean, we were really excited when we heard about yeah, this. Yeah, very excited. Because uh, we're, we're big fans of, uh, of theirs, big fans mm -hmm. of KISS. And the greatest part, was that about a week ago they asked me to introduce them at their press conference. This is true, which was held on the aircraft carrier USS Intrepid uh, docked right here in New York. And we found that out and we thought, this is too amazing. We yeah. have to we, somehow do something about this. Yeah, somehow horn in on it. You know? <laughs> exactly. Somehow. Right. But they're great friends of ours. I mean, they've been on the show. They've inspired us. and you know, Exactly. It was they, a natural. It's a natural. So what we did is uh, uh, the day that we got ready to, to go down, you and I got ready to go down, and I was going to introduce them at this huge press conference. Big deal, ton of yeah. people there. We decided to bring a, a, a crew along with right. us and record the whole thing uh, for posterity. So, Liz, uh, can you roll the tape of Andy and I going down for the uh, big KISS, yeah, I guess KISS revival reunion yeah. announcement at the uh, USS Trepid. Enjoy. We're on our way uh, downtown mm -hmm. uh, to... Uh, to go to the KISS press conference for their big reunion tour. I'm supposed to make some opening remarks, KISS asked me to, and, and you can cut the tension in this van with a knife. Yeah. It's pretty pretty uh, tense. I think you should tell the audience that when KISS asked you, they appeared to you in a dream. That's true. They don't true. need to use faxes and phones. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing about it was, I didn't even, I'm not still quite sure I've really been asked. Really? Yeah, it, I'm, it's, it came to me in a dream, and so I'm just, this is yeah. real faith that I'm showing up. Yeah. I may show up and, do uh, you know what I mean, have to have to push Kurt Loder aside on the podium. So what are, you, what are some of your uh, opening remarks going to be? Try them out on me. All right. This thing is starting off with this, see what you think. The dictionary defines excellence as the ability to... You're introducing KISS, not Manhattan Transfer. It's gotta be something bold. Now wait, why are you so nervous about this? I mean, you're on TV every night. That is nothing compared to this. This is KISS. Why have a uh, KISS press conference on an aircraft carrier? And I, I, I think the answer is, because it's beautiful, baby. been more proud of Conan than I am right now. <laughs> Stick around. We will see you in just a second. You know, again, I can remember watching that and then ticket buying the next day. So for all of the for all of the young generation uh, that might be listening to this, um, back in the day, right? You, you didn't uh, did not just get online and buy tickets. 
Um, and for a show of, of this magnitude, you know, the old lottery system was was in play. So, again, we were living in East Lansing at the time. And I can remember getting up and going to Harmony House uh, Music or Harmony House Records, which was, uh, I think, a local local to Michigan uh, establishment. Um, no, and I, I can't remember. Maybe I called them ahead of time and asked if they were selling tickets. Again, I think they were a Ticketmaster outlet. And they said they were and that they were instituting the lottery system. So ended up... Um, talking my in-laws <laughs> into coming because again here's the the key to this is you know we got there and there were probably 50 50 or so people there so the way that worked i i think however you were lined up i think they gave the the tickets kind of in order um you know say one to 50 in order as people were lined up so then when they would go in there and draw the number whatever number they chose that was that was one and then it just went in line you know after that so again the, the key is to have people spaced out if you had others with you uh, so you could you know better your <laughs> chances um, if you weren't the first one selected so my memory is the person that was the first number was I think two people ahead of uh, my mother-in-law so my mother-in-law was three and so I got obviously in that space and and you know got ready to get tickets and and, you know as soon as it went on sale I remember the first couple people going in and they got tickets right away and again it's it's not a situation where you could really choose Um, but I think I told him hey I want to be on the field Um, and you know for some reason I I felt like things kind of froze up as we were you know, as I was getting tickets, or he was trying to find tickets, two tickets uh, for for Holly and I, and eventually it came through, and he's like, "Yeah, got you on the, got you on the field." So section E on the field, row seven, um, seat thirty-two is at least my my seat um, number for my ticket, and they were fifty dollars, which you know was. Uh, <laughs> was a lot i think the tickets up closer you know were were going for 80 um and uh so anyway i got got the tickets um right there you know again they printed them off for you right there and i would say i don't think anybody else there ended up getting any i I think it ended up freezing up and um and again you you hear the stories you know about the you know forty thousand tickets gone and you know 40 minutes or whatever whatever it was that that was no joke that was that was crazy so um amazed again that uh got tickets and and of course i can remember so it was still obviously in the morning and i can remember we went to you know some sort of pancake house or something to to celebrate and 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 have some breakfast um anyway that was the uh ticket buying experience so between then and the show, um, again, online stuff, you know, started popping up about the the album that they had recorded um, with uh, Bruce Kulick and Eric Singer uh, prior to to reuniting. So all of a sudden, leaks started coming out, 
And I can remember at work, and there was a, a guy that was that was really into the technology and computers that I worked with, and, and I can remember, you know, seeing this stuff uh, popping up online, but, you know, did not have the capabilities of, of uh, A, either burning it to a CD um, or even to a to a cassette um and this guy did and you know he said yeah you know just give me a cassette and and uh, i'll uh, i'll download those those tracks and get them on there for you and i was like wow awesome thank you the problem was this guy was i guess i don't know if i want to say lazy but i can remember i mean every day coming in and and you know asking him hey you know did you get a chance to do that no no, not yet, not yet. And again, I guess you know beggars can't be choosers. But I, do you realize how big of a fan I am? I need to hear these songs, <laughs> and that went on for a while, and it was kind of annoying. And I, I wonder if he was actually doing it on purpose. But anyway, eventually he came in, said he, he was just fin- going to finish it up that night, and we could, you know, I could come down and could go to his apartment and, and pick it up. And I, I can remember doing that, and it was somewhat late on a work night, and I got home, and I remember I listened to listened to the whole thing. Um, you know, what's interesting about the recording that I had was the order the track i mean the track listing was just a random uh, that he gave me um childhood's end hate i will be there in my head jungle in the mirror it never goes away seduction of the innocent master and slave um and then flip flipped it over and i will be there was on there again for some reason you confess great expectations demo <laughs> was on there um, and of course, there was no "I Walk Alone." I don't think on, on the, that initial um, leaks uh, of of that. So, again, listen to it. I, you know, again, I liked it. You know, I liked uh, the alternative grunge stuff. Talked about that uh, on previous episodes. You know, exposed to um, a lot of that stuff during college. So, I was actually I, I liked it. And you know, again, the bootleg version of it the you know the quality wasn't necessarily great but there was a lot of low end to it which really gave it some balls which they kind of um changed when they officially released it uh, a few years later um but anyway i uh i liked uh, a lot of those songs on there won't get into it now because we'll, we'll talk about that album eventually uh at, at some time so um oh the other funny thing was so on the balance of the tape, this guy put um, a bunch of songs from the Dickies, <laughs> punk rock band, from the album Dawn of the Dickies, which was which was funny. And then he, for whatever reason, between each of the Kiss songs, he put a bunch of weird crap, you know, like Beavis and Butthead quotes and um, something, you know, from Breakfast Club. Next time I have to come in here, I'm cracking skulls. You know, just a bunch of weird stuff which is again i guess kind of part of my history now because i remember listening to that that tape a lot and obviously with a lot of those weird um weird tracks in between them so one other thing that both paul and gene talked about during the press conference 
was that they were going to release an album right before the start of the tour. Given how prolific the band has been over the years, can you give us any uh, details on this upcoming project that you guys have to coincide with the reunion and world tour? Well, the first thing that's happening is we're digging into the vaults and putting together an album that pretty much celebrates you know, this occasion, which for us, I mean, we're as big a fans of the band as anybody could be. So we're putting together an album that contains all kinds of rarities, live stuff from the era of the first two live albums and mixing it together and digitally remastering to do a best of, like a commemorative of a live one and a live two together with never before heard live tracks from that period. All stuff that comes out of the vaults. There's going to be a a CD that's going to commemorate the start of the tour that comes directly from our vaults. It's going to be some classic tracks from Alive 1, Alive 2, and some tracks from our vaults, live, show, live songs from the 70s nobody's ever heard of before or have ever heard before recorded. And that's going to be coming out at the end of June just to commemorate the start of the tour. And the future is the future. And, of course, both of them talking about, yeah, we're going to dig into the vaults and, you know, everything's going to be remastered and all this stuff. So... What that was, was the compilation album, You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best, which was released on June 25th of 1996, which was three days before the Tiger Stadium show. And it had, quote unquote, four unreleased outtakes from Alive and Alive 2. So the track listing, room service, two-timer let me know rock bottom parasite firehouse i stole your love calling dr love take me shout it out loud beth rock and roll night and then there was an interview at the end um, with jay leno on there so the unreleased outtakes so room service two-timer and let me know from alive and then take me from alive too so i can remember going out and buying this cd uh, the day that it came out put it in and from the very first note that i heard i knew that that was not a an outtake um, and then of course as soon as paul um, started singing. What are they trying to pull on the KISS fans here? I mean, did they actually think that we weren't going to notice that the vocals were, were probably recorded a couple weeks prior to the album getting released? Um, just terrible. And again, it just it ruined the, the whole feel of the Alive album. Didn't sound anything like that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I was like, wow, what? <laughs> How stupid do they think we are? So anyway, um, that was somewhat of a disappointment. So I've got a bunch of um, local um, articles and different things that I'll post, you know, out of the Detroit papers kind of leading up to the show. Um, one of the Detroit papers found the two guys that were on the back of, of the Alive album. Uh, interesting interview. Um, the UPN uh, channel in Detroit actually ran a, uh, a story about one of the guys on the back of the Alive uh, album, and it actually it wasn't him. So it was actually this this guy 
apparently told UPN that he was one of the guys on the back. And they did this whole story on him. And I've actually, I've got it recorded on VHS. Uh, the problem is I went back and was watching that tape. And there's other stuff on there and everything's fine with the audio. But that particular story, there's no audio from it. So kind of a, kind of a bummer because it was kind of a funny, well, sad um, <laughs> story. Especially when you, you realize that this guy was trying to put one over on, the, on that news channel. So kind of funny. Uh, but I'll post uh, all these articles and stuff that I cut out and still have, which was, which was cool to have. So at the time, you know, I don't remember if I knew that they played that uh, kind of dress rehearsal, uh, that weenie roast um, show um, out in California. Um, so the radio station KROQ out in California had had this weenie roast festival. And, you know, so KISS, for whatever reason, which I, I think this is a odd, odd situation. Again, I get what they wanted to do, but to do it, A, at a festival where you don't really have as much control from a production and sound <laughs> situation that you would of your own show, and B, the bands that were on this um on this festival, not exactly the audience that they were going for, but maybe that was part of the point. Um, you know, this was just a, you know, what they do. They did 10 songs or whatever at this thing. But, I mean, 311, The Fugees, Lush, uh, Goldfinger, The Verve Pipe, Garbage, Everclear, Corn, No Doubt, and Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> were on this festival. And then Kiss played 10 songs. And, of course, that show was, you know, has been... Uh, um, documented, you know, uh, with video and, and different reviews of that. It was kind of a cluster. Um, you know, they started with deuce and the, the firehouse siren ran <laughs> during that song. Love gun. They played it in track two. Um, and they kind of flubbed the intro. It sounded like Paul wanted to do the extended intro that they had been doing. And Ace was wanting to do, uh, just what was, what was on the on the album didn't know what to do ace's guitar malfunctioned um during that and so part of the solo was was delayed um so then when they got to firehouse obviously he he did the fire thing but the, even the the siren <laughs> that came in during the song that it was supposed to come in sounded odd there was something off um with it uh shock me smoking guitar effect didn't work um you know, again, so much for 90s technology. Um, he did shoot one rocket out of it. You know, during the intro of Detroit Rock City, someone had gotten up on stage and was mooning the crowd. Um, but, the, you know, I will say this. They they did nail... I mean, that's a great version of Detroit Rock City. Um, but at the end of that, Paul notices there's a fire um, going on up in the lighting truss. So, anyway, just not... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, just interesting, interesting show. Um, again, short 10 songs, didn't have everything, um, you know, from their stage set, uh, but but decided to, to kind of do a dress rehearsal. So the concert was on a Friday, and that weekend, actually on Thursday, my mom had flown up, and we were going to do some rehearsal dinner planning uh, for our wedding, which was going to be in... 
mid-August. And so I remember I took the day off that day, which made that day turn, it was a long day <laughs> um, of, of waiting type of thing. But we had a lot of stuff to do. Um, Holly had to work all day. She had a relatively new job uh, right out of grad school and, and didn't have time off. So she had to work that day. So she got off work uh, late that afternoon, um, got ready to go, and, and we were in the car, um, you know, probably 5, 5.30-ish uh, to make the hour and a half drive down to D Detroit. So anyway, and she, she tells this story a lot better uh, than me, but she wants to, you know, it's, it's healthy to keep some things separated. So she didn't want to come on the episode and, and talk about this at all. But I, I will tell you this. So her, her, uh, concert history up to this point. So her first concert was the monkeys and weird Al in the mid eighties when the monkeys, uh, got back together and they were all over MTV and all that stuff in college. She had seen uh, Billy Joel, um, and she had seen Genesis, I think, up in Ames, um, the football stadium there. She had seen George Winston, and then she had seen the Moody Blues, which I had mentioned on that episode that I was at the same show before we knew each other. And then, of course, we went to um, Big Head Todd and the Bodines um, together, and then I guess I had taken her to a couple of those um, Strutter Kiss tribute bands. So that that's her <laughs> that's her concert history, and and now she's going uh, to the first Kiss reunion show um, with uh, Allison Chains and Sponge opening uh, in a baseball stadium in downtown Detroit. So you know she was wearing uh, khaki shorts. She had a, a you know, a short sleeve um, blouse on. And I remember her, you know, she had white tennis shoes. Um, and I think she had, she was bringing a, a little uh, covering sweater, light, light sweater. Uh, again, what I, what I failed to mention too, is that this is, Michigan can get really hot and muggy and sticky there's usually at least a stretch of of dates during the summer that are just unbearable well this was one of those times unfortunately so it was awful and for anyway so that but that's what she um wore and of course i you know i don't know i had jean shorts on probably in a and a black kiss shirt, I, I would assume. I don't know. I guess I can't remember what I wore to it. Um, but anyway, so that's so there we are driving down uh, 96 towards Detroit, and ended up picking picking up the Riff um, uh, radio in in Detroit, and and they they were playing and had been playing Kiss all day. So basically, it was a 24 hour of playing nothing but kiss um the whole day which how awesome is that and when when is the last time something like that happened anywhere so we listened to that driving down there so obviously get down there and um don't really know 
you know, where we're going or, you know, what are we, where are we going to park or any of that stuff. So we ended up parking in just a, a surface lot, you know, um, you know, some buildings around Tiger Stadium there. Um, and uh, anyway, parked, I, I remember backing, we backed into the spot, you know, up to a, up to a building and, and uh, we're surrounded obviously by, by cars they weren't double parking people but there were cars everywhere so anyway walked over to the stadium um, got in and so holly tells me that as soon as we got in i i ran to one of the merch stands and kind of left her (laughs) which again not uh, no no points for me for for that but anyway um she made it very clear not to leave her Again, so looked at the shirts, and you know, to be honest with you, I wasn't that impressed with the shirt layout that they had. I mean, I ended up buying just that, you know, that kind of that standard black T-shirt, orange Kiss logo, um, you know, of them standing, uh, and then on the back it just said "Alive Worldwide '96, '97" on it. So, um, again, just wasn't uh, didn't love. I get, they were using obviously the Destroyer cover a lot on a lot of that stuff and you know i don't i don't want to buy a destroyer looking shirt for a a concert that's that's happening 20 years after that album was released so anyway but so we got that and then uh um you know got into the stadium and again so baseball stadium so basically the stage was out in the outfield um and they had you know there were sections seated uh sections on the on the floor outfield so basically i, I want to say you know there were four sections um and then kind of two rows of those right so four sections two kind of in the center one on either side and then four you know sections of seats you know behind those first four sections so we entered the stadium we were again in section e so we were you know, way over kind of the second row of, of those sections of seats, you know, to the far left side. Uh, so it would have been in the third base side. And we entered the stadium on the first base side. So somehow made our way down to the front row of the of the seating and, along with a bunch of other people. I mean, it was a mess. Um, so we were, I can't imagine the people whose seats those actually were because there were constantly people walking but so we're walking all the way around kind of around home plate to get over to the other side so we can get down on the field and as we're doing that Allison Chains starts and they kicked off uh, with the song again
So again, that was awesome. I, I love that song. That's one of my one of my favorite Alice in Chains songs. So to have them start off with that, that was cool. But again, we were <laughs> trying to make our way uh, to our seats. So, um, you know, I had Holly's hand. You know, we're walking. But I think after we got there, she had said that whoever was behind her was... Um, he was getting awfully close to her, I guess, to put it lightly. Um, and so great. So, you know, we're, we're, we're not there very long and she is having a, a horrible experience, uh, already. Um, but anyway, we get to our, get to our seats. And again, row seven of that kind of section E, you know, we were on the, uh, we were kind of, you know, closer to the middle or the center, uh, with regards to our seats. So again, I mean, our seats weren't weren't bad, um, but you know, again, stadium shows. Well, you know, it's it's cool because there's so many people there, and you know, the atmosphere and all that stuff. But you know, doesn't lend itself, uh, you know, to, to great uh, sight lines necessarily, and the sound um, isn't always great uh, in an open air uh, stadium either. But uh, so back to Alice in Chains. So they started off with again. God Am, Sludge Factory, We Die Young, Them Bones, Angry Chair, Wood, A Little Bitter, Damn That River, and then ended with Man in the Box. So two songs off of Facelift. I'm going to say one off of Singles, three off of Dirt, zero off of Jar of Flies, three off of the Self- titled album which was what they were promoting and then one from a b-side so that a little uh bitter is uh is from a b-side so um a little interesting you know no sea of sorrow no rooster kind of odd again i know they were promoting uh i guess somewhat promoting that that self-titled album um there, there's audio of that uh performance online you know i thought they sounded good again um you know lane was obviously in rough shape uh at the time but uh you know i again i I thought he sounded good couldn't see him great uh so i'm not sure what he necessarily looked like if he was thin and frail uh by that point which i think uh i heard that he was so stone temple pilots was supposed to open um this show and obviously a number of the other shows and ironically had to uh uh back out of that uh due to scott wyland's uh drug issues so what do they do so they slide in another band with a singer that's got serious drug issues as well which didn't make a whole lot of sense and i don't you know, I don't, I think the change was made somewhat last minute. I mean, I can remember hearing, you know, back in April, the commercials, you know, for the show, um, at Tiger Stadium, you know, with Stone Temple Pilots, uh, you know, on there, on that commercial. So again, I think, you know, I think they, they dropped off somewhat close to the, to the show, but, um, so before Angry Chair, the drummer of Alice in Chains uh, came out to the front and decided to do his uh, best rendition of Beth. Yes. 
quiet for a second. Hold on, really, this is serious. Beth, I hear you calling, but I can't come on right now. Me and the boys are playing. So again, I get it. You know, they're, they were young guys at the time. Um, and again, I don't want to get all serious, you know, uh, and, and take Kiss too seriously. But, you know, singing, <laughs> you know, a few bars of, of Beth, but then, you know, at the end, really kind of mocking the the song. I don't know, you know, for, for the band that you're opening for. It's disrespectful. I mean, it just it just is. I mean, again, I don't want to be be too serious, you know, with that. But uh, come on. I mean, there are there are things that you could do, uh, you know, if you actually wanted to pay tribute to them or, or whatever. But that's not that's not the way to do it. And then before they did a little bitter, um, you know, somebody said Detroit fucking Rock City. Jesus Christ. Maybe it was Lane, but he's like Detroit Rock City man, and then Jerry goes into the uh, Detroit Rock City riff just briefly, and the drummer, you know plays a little bit of it as well okay you know that's 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 okay but to to mock that mock beth like that i'm not sure that was that was the right thing to do so came across an interview um with jerry cantrell and sean kinney where they talk a little bit about this and you know said ended up saying that staley was booed by fans uh, in Detroit for mocking them. So Jerry Cantrell says, here's what I recall. There may have been a riff or two, but I think the real thing was when Sean decided to come out in front and sing Beth acapella. Sean's a fantastic drummer. He's got a great eye and business sense. He's very artistic, but he's not a great singer. And then Sean Kenny says, man, they just, they weren't digging the humor of it. The whole stadium, 60,000 people really booed really loud and well so two things there so there weren't 60,000 people there um and I you know again I don't remember him booing and then Jerry says you know he didn't really like it kiss drummer Peter Chris uh he had a little problem with it yeah again I think the way that they they approached it and uh you know kind of at the end of it you know kind of poo-pooing the song so um and then Sean says I remember Lane also said because people were painted like Kiss characters that they were wearing makeup and everything and laying in between songs. Hey, how come so many of you dress like members of Kiss? No one dressed like me. And then they're all like, boo, I put a little more gas on the fire by hacking Beth. And yeah, there were some riffs of their songs in between. Jerry knows a bunch of Kiss tunes. After we're done playing and we're leaving the stage, they were getting ready to go on and they're all standing there in their monster costumes and everything and they're like, hey, how's the show? I remember just looking at them because I was in the KISS Army when I was a kid. I believed that they were from space and shit and I couldn't handle it. I remember looking at them and just going, I can't do this. 
It's just like I couldn't absorb it. Uh, laughs. It was a pretty cool thing. And then Jerry says we went up to the soundboard to watch them, and it was like being transported to being that kid. And it was so cool. It's like the first show of the tour, and like Sean said, a couple of things weren't working. Like usually it takes a couple gigs to get the band tight and all of that. But you know, they were good. I remember specifically, I think, we all had the same experience looking at each other like, fuck man, it's like being 11 or 12 years old again. We just played in front of them. So anyway, I won't, uh, won't go into, into that anymore. So again, after Alice in Chains played, it seemed like forever, which kind of reminds me of the first time I saw Kiss on the Hot in the Shade tour in Omaha. It seemed like it took forever for them to come on. Um, so again, my recollection was it wasn't until 10.30-ish, um, something like that, but I can remember, um, again, it was dark, obviously, by that point, and remember uh, the lights, kind of the stadium lights going going dim, and remember helicopters, at least one, you know, circling above, and, and I remember Holly and I thinking, like, is that part of the show? You know, are they in there? Or something. I I don't know. I was I was uh, you know again just soaking it all in and, and kind of in awe about the whole thing. And then go that's how the show started and i'll tell you what i can i will never forget i mean just the the way that he introduced the band and how his voice sounded that that will never leave my leave my memory and again this is the first time i had ever seen that intro used um you know on the hot in the shade and revenge tours they did not uh they did not do that they had a different uh intro so that was that was interesting. Um, so their set list. So Deuce, King of the Nighttime World, Do You Love Me, Calling Dr. Love, Cold Gin, Christine 16, Love Gun, Shout It Out Loud, Watching You, Firehouse, 2000 Man, Strutter, Shock Me, Rock Bottom, God of Thunder, 
New York Groove, Let Me Go Rock and Roll, 100,000 Years, and Rock and Roll All Night ended the regular set. And then they encored Beth, Detroit Rock City, and Black Diamond. So song breakdown, so six off of the debut, two off of Hotter Than Hell, two off of Dress to Kill, six off of Destroyer, one off of Rock and Roll Over, three off of Love Gun, one off of Ace Fraley's solo album, and then none of the other solo albums were represented, and then one song off of Dynasty, and zero songs off of Unmasked. So a um, couple interesting things um, with this. Um, you know, during Deuce, and people have seen the the kind of the MTV footage um, and this, I guess the footage from the screen. So Ace's guitar strap broke. Peter came in at the wrong time, kind of at that at the breakdown of of that song. So it was a little bit of a mess. Um, but you know, going through. So you know, Cold Gin. So this is the first time. Um, the Ace actually sang the second verse, which was which was cool. Gene sang the first verse. Um, Ace sang the second verse. Uh, Christine 16 was played at this show, and I think this is the only show that it was played at on the whole tour. <laughs> Going back and watching it, uh, Paul, you know, banter. We are just getting started. Let's start the next one, please. I mean, so he, he needed to work on his on his uh, banter a little bit uh, and stage raps. Um, Love Gun, you know, kind of interesting. Um, you know, on the Hot in the Shade and Revenge tours, they had used lasers, you know, bouncing off during the kind of the machine gun drumming. Uh, surprise they didn't have that and at this show that's such a cool effect they just had some strobe strobe lights going and 2000 man so we we got that at this show and I think that's the only time they played it uh, on the tour it, it came off after that introducing rock bottom so Paul says you know this comes off of dress to kill and alive too <laughs> which was kind of funny um, that he again he has trouble with the album titles um, God of Thunder was interesting. There was uh, no fire um, really during that song. There may have been some pyro, you know, on top of the stage, which they took advantage of some fireworks off of the top of the stage that the video of it doesn't capture. But again, just kind of shocking that they wouldn't use use that. And then during 100,000 Years, you know, versus just the flames kind of during that breakdown part, they had a kind of combination of flash pots. Uh, during that and then rock and roll night was it was kind of funny so during the crowd participation part they had uh, um, had the lyrics 
<laughs> of the chorus uh, up on those screens, just in case somebody doesn't know how that song goes, which is which is funny. Um, Paul threw the guitar up twice uh, that he was going to bust. Nearly dropped it the first time and then did drop it um, the second time. Had fallen to the floor. So, again, kind of out of practice uh, a little bit with that. You know, a couple other things. I mean, Love Gun being as early in the set that it was was a little surprising. Um, I guess I was surprised to see Watching You uh, and Rock Bottom. Those are kind of, you know, not... uh, not staples necessarily even from back in the day so i was kind of interested to see that and then the other i mean ending the regular set with rock and roll night and then coming back out and doing beth detroit rock city and ending with black diamond i thought was i thought was curious again interesting we got you know three lead lead vocals from ace uh which was which was interesting Shock me, so the smoke effect uh, did not work. Um, Ace kind of went over to the side of the stage. They kind of cut out the lights, uh, and then some guy did something with it, and it finally started. Uh, but when it finally started, it just bellowed out really fast uh, and kind of screwed everything up. And eventually, I think the guitar stopped working, so that uh, that whole effect didn't work out great. And, of course, <laughs> Ace being Ace says... You know, but surprisingly, the rockets worked, um, all three that he shot out. So that was, that was cool. Um, you know, with, again, with regards to the set list, you know, Rock and Roll Over gets, you know, so much love. Again, I like it. It's not one of my favorite albums uh, from them, but I just amazing how, how consistently it gets ignored, uh, from the set. And I, you know, I don't know why that is. Don't know why they don't uh, play more of those songs. Um, just really surprising. So from the stage, the uh, lighting rig was massive, which was nice to see, uh, since all the lighting rigs in the 70s that Kiss used were were pretty lame uh, for the most part, other than the Dynasty one. Um, and uh, perfect example. Uh, see the queen lighting rigs from the mid to late 70s those are lighting rigs otherwise the stage was pretty bland um, overall i mean you know started to uh, utilize screens you know concerts were starting to to use that a little bit more so there was this big screen behind peter's drum kit Um, you know the kiss logo you know it wasn't huge but it uh uh, and it wasn't just the outline of it, right? The um, it had it had kind of the lights, you know, inside the the letters um, as well. They had two more screens in the corners of the stage. Um, so again, as the show kicked off, you know, there wasn't much on stage. But during King of the Nighttime World, you know, those lighting rig uh, sections that had um, amplifier cabinets in them, uh, kind of lowered down during King of the Nighttime World. And then during Do You Love Me, um, stacks of amplifiers on either side of the drum uh, riser uh, rose up. And so, I mean, that look, that look uh, is, is, is pretty cool um, after everything was, was there. Um, but again, it was, just, uh, it was just fair. You know, again, what, I don't know what I had in my head, you know, what it was going to look like. But, you know, your imagination can... Uh, 
can really go uh, go crazy <laughs> sometimes. And then from a pyro standpoint, I, again, I don't. I think my expectations were looking at the uh, gatefold of Alive Two, so you know there there wasn't as much pyro uh, that I would have expected. Again, you know, being a stadium show. You know, the stage was, was huge, and they had fireworks kind of shooting off at the top, uh, which was fine, but there wasn't a lot going on, uh, or as much as I would have thought, on stage. Um, like I mentioned, um, you know, God of Thunder didn't have any fire, which just didn't make any, just didn't make any sense. And then the finale, you know, itself, I mean, it was, it was okay, I don't think it um, was as bombastic as the finale of the Revenge uh, tour. And so then the show was over, and they ended up shooting off a ton of fireworks kind of from uh, some of the seating area kind of behind uh, the stage uh, of the stadium. And I'm like, well, why not? Why didn't they shoot that stuff off uh, during the end of the show? Um I, it just didn't make uh, just didn't make any sense to me. So, you know, what were my you know overall thoughts on the show? So again, the anticipation <laughs> of this show and the expectations that that probably everybody that went to it, you know, had in their head, you know, it was going to be probably impossible for them to to meet those. Again, the excitement. You know, obviously rivaled, um, you know, the excitement I had prior to the first time that I saw him back on the on the hits tour. Um, but to be honest, I, I think I was underwhelmed um, by by pretty much everything. Now, again, the the atmosphere unmatched. I mean, it was it was so cool you know, to, to be there and to be part of that. Um, but like I said, you know, the stage, you know, there, there really wasn't a lot there. Um, you know, in, in the seventies, again, their stage show, you know, in the seventies, there wasn't anything like it. Um, so what they were doing with the stage that they had, the pyro, the spitting fire, spitting blood, um, you know, the guitar effects and, and drum risers and all that stuff, right? Nobody was doing anything like that in the 70s when they were making uh, a name for themselves. Since then, so since 1979, think of all of the bands that came out in the 80s and took what Kiss was doing and took it to a whole nother level. So they really needed to come back and up their game. I mean, Gene said it during the press conference. We're going to make sure that people, everything you've heard about the KISS years and the KISS stage shows and the spectacle is true. It's not a legend. We're going to show every new band how the big boys do it. We're going to get up there. Well, that's what they needed to do. I mean, it seemed as though they thought you know what, we'll just put on the makeup, we'll breathe fire, we'll spit blood, and, you know, we'll blow some stuff up, and that should speak for itself. I, you know, they, I, I'm sorry, I think they needed to, they needed to do, um, 
they needed to do something more and unfortunately it wasn't there so again maybe it was you know part me over hyping it um internally and it, and it fell short uh for me um plus musically so i feel i saw them for the first time at their peak so the hot in the shade tour um Paul and Gene and, and Bruce and Eric Carr, um, that was a tight uh, uh, unit at that time, and, and they were they were playing great, and Paul sounded great. Um, and then when Eric Singer joined the band uh, on the Revenge Tour, again, some people cite that that's the best uh, lineup musically. Uh, that there's that there's ever been so again those were the first two tours that I saw so <laughs> that bar was raised um, you know I'll be honest with you when I when I see Ace play with the band I mean anytime he's taking a solo um, or anytime he's taking a lead vocal um, you know a part of me is <laughs> is on edge thinking is he going to make it through the song? Is he going to make it through the solo? Is he going to sing or is he going to be, you know, looking at his guitar and, and, uh, you know, some of the lyrics dropping out from time to time. I'm sorry. I just, I, I'm not a fan, uh, of that. And during those, you know, during the, the non makeup era, you know, Paul runs around, he's an entertainer, right? He's, he's all over the stage not necessarily playing all the time so he needs to have a good backbone <laughs> behind him uh, namely a, a good lead guitar player that can play rhythms um you know and match his rhythms because uh, paul's gonna some of that stuff's gonna drop out uh during the shows and again paul had that um you know during the during the 80s specifically with bruce kulik uh who was just a a pro and uh anyway i i was curious if that would suffer and i feel like i feel like it kind of did again at the end of the day i'm, I'm obviously glad i went that you know it's a, a landmark show um and you know i'm glad that they got back together and and did this tour but to be honest with you i wish they would have just done that tour and then gone back to the revenge lineup and moved forward from there. So shortly after this show, I was, you know, saying to myself, I, I need to see this in an arena um, and really get, I think, a, a better feel, you know, for it overall. So scanning the dates that were out, at least kind of that first leg, um, the only thing that made sense from a, a logistical standpoint, um, distance and then timing, uh, over a weekend uh, were the two Cleveland shows uh, so July 19th July 20 so I, I remember seeing those dates and then somehow and again this is 1996 I have no idea how I came across somebody selling a ticket at that time I, I do not remember how I came across a ticket so I found a ticket for the second show July 20th uh, of 96 which was a Saturday and get this so the guy I, I feel like I probably talked to the guy um, on the phone and he actually agreed 
to send me so he sent me the ticket and then I think overnighted and then I in turn sent him <laughs> a check and it's like how in the world did that happen but you know it actually made sense because he this guy had four tickets um, one of the guys that was going to go with them, I think, backed out, so they had that one ticket. So <laughs> so if I didn't pay him, I'd obviously be going to the show and I'd be sitting next to him. So, you know, he, he uh, must have thought, you know what, one way or another, um, I'll, I'll get paid uh, if I send this ticket to this guy. So anyway, so that's what happened. So what was interesting, that weekend, so a couple things. So Kiss was there Friday and Saturday night. Indians had a home series uh, against somebody and then Cleveland was actually celebrating their bicentennial um, which so the, the the city was was crazy uh, there were no hotel rooms anywhere so I ended up driving um, down there the day of the show and ended up finding uh, a motel off of um, the highway um, roughly 40 minutes outside of Cleveland, um, got the hotel room and then ended up driving into, into Cleveland, uh, uh, from there. And so that's where I was going to stay after the show. And I remember going downtown, parking somewhere, parking garage somewhere. There was like a courtyard between, so Gund Arena, which is what it was called back then, and then Jacobs Field uh, was the baseball stadium, which is what it was called uh, at that time. But there was like a, a courtyard area between there. Um, and I can't remember if they just had tents set up there. I feel like there was a, an actual bar or, or a restaurant right uh, in there. Don't remember the name of it. Um, but there were, I mean, there were just tons of people down there for the concert, for the baseball game, kind of, again, celebrating the uh, the bicentennial. Um, so it was, it was awesome. And I met some cool people, uh, before the show. And then, you know, by the time the, uh, you know, show was getting close to start, you know, went in there and obviously met the guy that, uh, sold me the ticket. Um, so I was stage left, um, upper deck, but again, not right on the side of the stage, a little bit closer to the, the center of the arena. Um, and, uh, so decent seats. So the set list for the second night of the uh, Cleveland tour stop, Deuce, King of the Nighttime World, Do You Love Me, Calling Dr. Love, Cold Gin, I Stole Your Love, Shout It Out Loud, Watching You, Firehouse, Shock Me, Strutter, Rock Bottom, God of Thunder, New York Groove, Love Gun, 100,000 Years, Black Diamond, Detroit Rock City, Beth, and Rock and Roll All Night. So six songs from the debut, one song from Hotter Than Hell, two songs from Dress to Kill, six songs from Destroyer, one song from Rock and Roll Over, three songs from Love Gun, one song from the Ace Frehley 78 solo album, Again, the other three solo albums were ignored. Zero songs from Dynasty and zero songs from Unmasked. So um, 
a couple of uh, changes uh, in here. So they dropped Christine 16, 2000 Man, and Let Me Go Rock and Roll, but added I Stole Your Love, which was a great addition. And then they moved Love Gun from, what, the seventh slot from the Tiger Stadium show um, closer to the end, three songs to the end of the, the regular set which was a good move. have no idea why they were playing that so early uh, in the set for the first uh, handful of gigs. And then the, the best move that they made. So at Tiger Stadium, they ended the regular set with Rock and Roll Night and ended the encore with Black Diamond. So they flip-flopped those two songs. So Rock and Roll Night was the uh, end uh, of the encore. Black Diamond uh, wrapping up the regular set. Instead of the first encore song being Beth, it was Detroit Rock City. And then you had Beth in between uh, that and Rock and Roll Night. So again, good uh, good set um, changes, at least from a uh, set order standpoint. Um, but I, I, and I will say... Man, oh man, this is this was maybe one of the loudest crowds uh, of a show that I've ever been to. So I ended up bringing the <laughs> the recorder, ended up recording the whole show, uh, which I didn't do for Tiger Stadium, and I, I don't know if I, I didn't want to risk it at all for that, um, and and risk not you know getting kicked out and not being able to go. I, I have no idea um, why I why I didn't try to. Uh, record that show but I, I did record this Cleveland show and I'll tell you what it, it a couple of things it was probably it was one of the louder crowds um, that I'd ever um, experienced and then I, I left the thing running at the end of the show and <laughs> there's a, there a funny conversation that I had with one of the other uh, guys that I hadn't uh, um, you know talked to during the show other than the guy that sold me the ticket so this is pretty funny. So all in all, I mean, I, I think, again, the Cleveland show, the arena show, you know, was a better representation of kind of what this tour was about. Um, I, I would say I was more impressed with uh, with that show uh, versus the Detroit show. But again, nothing can take away, uh, you know, the atmosphere and, and everything with, with regards to, to the Tiger Stadium show. Um, but I, I'm glad I was able to see you know, an arena uh, stop on this tour um, early on. So now on to the band on the bill spotlight. So 
you know, with regards to the Tiger Stadium show and Allison Chain's opening, uh, we saw so the fourth to last uh, Allison Chain's show with with Lane Staley. So I figured, you know, let's talk a little bit about the material that uh, Allison Chain's released uh, with Lane on vocals. So Facelift released August 21st, 1990, uh, reached number 42 and went uh, double platinum. So I mentioned, you know, being introduced to Man in the Box and and the Facelift album uh, during the summer of 1991, thanks to Mike. Um, Again, in my eyes, you know, this album, I I don't really (laughs) consider it a grunge album. It's more of a hard rock, heavy metal album. to me um, there are guitar solos all over this album and the riffs um, just great heavy you know sabbath influenced uh, riffs on here so sea of sorrow is one of my favorite allison chain songs um, and again just that, that this whole album I, there really isn't a skipper um, on here for me so always loved it um you know, the I Know Something About You, uh, that always reminded me of an extreme riff, kind of funky stuff in there. But again, overall, uh, just love, love Facelift uh, with Sap. Released February 4th of 92, uh, ended up going gold. Again, some cool acoustic stuff on there. Um, you know, the song Brother, um, Got Me Wrong, you know, ended up on the... Uh, unplugged a little bit later so again cool cool stuff for what it what it is again uh the last track love song uh whatever throw away uh <laughs> throw away track for me but uh in general like uh like what they were doing uh with uh with the stuff on there then dirt got released september 29th of 92 uh, reached number six on the charts. Ended up going uh, four times platinum, and again, not you know fully understanding why um, Wood is on the end. Um, you know, should have just stayed as a 12-song album. I mean, it's Wood is on the single soundtrack, and that's where it should have been. Uh, don't really count Wood as being part of this album. Um, and again, you know, it was obviously their biggest hit. Um, and again, highlight wise, the hits are good. Um, them bones down in a hole, rooster, angry chair, all great, great songs. Um, also like rain when I die, uh, just an unbelievable vocal, um, in that song. And then I like the song junkhead, um, as well, but low, low lights again, they had really going from facelift to dirt. Um, they really started to go down the the quote-unquote grunge alternative path um you know the song sick man uh godsmack the untitled you know iron gland whatever that's a throwaway um and then the song hate to feel not a fan of, of any of those songs sick man doesn't go anywhere for me it's just a mess um whiny vocal on it and then Godsmack again that vocal phrasing during the verse is just unlistenable I cannot I cannot listen to that song it's just awful um and then again hate to feel just it just doesn't do doesn't do anything for me so again while the highlights 
again, mostly the hits off of there are great, and a couple of deep cuts uh, I enjoy, but the rest of it, um, not a not a fan. Jar of Flies, released January 25th, 1995, uh, debuted at number one, obviously off of the the heels of, of Dirt, but went three times platinum. Uh, so again, this is just a, an EP. Um, again, great uh, hits on here. I Stay Away, No Excuses, uh, Don't Follow, great songs. Uh, Rotten Apple and Nutshell uh, are fantastic as well, as is Whale and Wasp. Great, great instrumental. So very, very cool album. Again, kind of took what they were doing with uh, with Sap, you know, to another level uh, with the uh, with the uh, acoustic um, influenced uh, album here. And then they released the self-titled album November seventh, nineteen ninety five. Again, reached number one. Ended up selling two million copies. Um, so again, you know they are full-on grunge uh, at this point. Have side you and over now. Great, uh, great songs. And then again, as I, I mentioned, they led off with that at the Tiger Stadium show. Um, again, one of my favorite uh, Alice in Chains songs. Dark, haunting, driving riff. Love it. Cool vocal delay uh, in that song as well. But overall, the album just just seems really disjointed um, to me. And then Unplugged. Now, granted, uh, that was released actually after uh, the Tiger Stadium show, uh, July 30th, 1996. Um, hit number three and went uh, went platinum. Um, talking about it since the the actual episode aired back in late May. May 28th of 96 and again it was their first performance in like two and a half years um, interesting not one song <laughs> from facelift uh, is on here which again is telling from the standpoint of facelift is just a, a balls out hard rock metal album uh, did read somewhere that they had considered uh, trying we die young or love hate love um, for the unplugged but but decided not to um again overall that's amazing unplugged uh album which again you know part of that they they actually had a second uh guitar player so they had five people on stage for the recording of that which helped to kind of fill out some of those songs um as well so if i were to rank those albums um i'm going with facelift uh number one uh, I'd put Jar of Flies 2, you know, with Unplugged, probably a close uh, close behind it at 3. Uh, Dirt 4, um, Self-Titled at 5, and then Sap uh, rounding, rounding it out. Again, just the, the fact that uh, uh, it only has really four songs on it, uh, I couldn't... Uh, couldn't have it higher even though I like the stuff that that's on there but that's that's how I'd rank uh, the albums that they released with uh, with Lane Staley so now on to the slam fest tip of the week so again uh, as you as you heard at the top of this episode I replayed uh, that clip uh, from the kiss convention episode um, 33 uh, when I you know had met Holly and asked her if she would ever go <laughs> to a kiss show and she said only if they reunite and, and put the makeup back on so not only did that happen but the first show uh ended up uh 
taking place uh, in the state where we were residing at the at the time, which is which is funny. Um, talked a little bit about her concert history and and what she wore, and you know having some guy grinding on her as we're walking, uh, you know, through the uh, front row of the stadium seats to get to our entrance down onto the field. Um, so, you know, after all of that, after a long concert, again, we didn't get out of there until 1 a.m. probably. Um, but so, you know, I mentioned where we parked. So we made our way, (laughs) made our way back to, uh, that surface lot where we parked and just to, just to top it all off, we get to our car and of course there is a guy leaning up against the car getting serviced by, by some some woman and I'm like this couldn't get any worse uh, than it is right now and anyway they uh, scurried away or whatever and I, I'm getting in the car and, and <laughs> driving home we actually kind of got lost I can remember a little bit downtown Detroit but made our way back onto the highway and and thank God, I think she slept most of the way because I'm sure she didn't want to talk to me uh, on the on the way home. But again, the moral to the story, if your significant other would go through what I just described uh, overall, um, they are a keeper. So now to wrap up this episode with which side are you on? So again, another KISS episode, so um, not until uh, a few hours before recording this did I do the, the randomizer um, of the albums you know, released up to this point, and it spit out Creatures of the Night. So Creatures of the Night released October 28, 1982, 10th studio album and last album with makeup on, reached number 45 on the chart has been certified gold and was produced by Michael James Jackson. So my memory with this album, uh, again, going back to my neighbor, uh, Matthew. So I remember him getting this, um, I think on cassette. And I remember us listening, uh, to the shit out of the title track. Um, and then somewhere around that, again, the same time, so it was, you know, shortly after it came out, but um, seeing the video for I Love It Loud uh, and, and loving that song um, as well. Uh, so again, those those two tracks, I think, were the ones that we listened to the most. You know, obviously we both loved the low uh, part of I Love It Loud right before the chorus of Gene singing. And again, the, you know, the rest of that album just, you know, it was probably a little too heavy, um, didn't connect with me um, as much until until later. Um, you know, it's just overall it was lacking the melodic hard rock, you know, that I that I was into at the time and, and really loved about Kiss, uh, except for those those two songs. Now, you know, personally, and I haven't been shy about this on, uh, you know, commenting uh 
on other people's uh, podcasts or, you know, when they talk about this album. But, I, you know, personally, I think it's overrated. Um, you know, the production uh, gets a lot of a lot of talk. And again, I like the production. You know, I think the drums may be just a bit too much. I mean, if they, um, you know, brought them back a little bit, because again, some, some of the songs, and we'll get into it here a little bit, but the, uh, you know, the guitars seem to be kind of in the background and, and obviously the drums and the bass are, are in the forefront. Again, I get it. I get what they were going for. Um, but overall, you know, I wish, uh, wish that stuff was dialed back, um, just a little bit. So let's get into side one. So Creatures of the Night, written by Paul Stanley and, uh, Adam Mitchell. So this was the third single, actually, released in April of 83. Classic drum intro, chugging riff, cool lead fills during the verse. Uh, Paul just sounds fantastic. He, they got kind of a vocal effect on his on his voice that breakdown part uh before the solo is very cool great guitar solo by steve ferris from mr mister so again this was a transitional period for the band so they were they were going through um you know ace uh, is on the cover of the album but he's not uh doesn't play on the album so they've got a variety of different guitar players on here um and then paul great interjections uh during the outro you know, we're creatures of the night. Um, but then kind of a weird, abrupt ending <laughs> to it, uh, to that song, which is which is a little odd. So next up, Saint and Sinner, uh, Gene Simmons and uh, Michael Jap. So cool vibe to this song, great bass tone and, and uh, bass fills in there. So not a fan, and I've mentioned this before, but not a fan of the kind of the guitar riff following the the melody the vocal melody um during the chorus um i like the melody <laughs> of it i just i just don't like it when the guitar follows it uh, to a t i think that's i think that's lazy uh, to me but anyway great melodic guitar solo um i like the outro riff and and gene's interjections and the guitar soloing uh, during the outro uh good good stuff Track three, Keep Me Coming, Paul Stanley, Adam Mitchell again. So cool riff, cool verse, cool bridge, horrible chorus. Just, again, just lazy. Um, the bridge, though, is probably the best part of this song. Uh, the sweet little innocent girl making your way in this world, something you're feeling tonight tells you what's wrong and what's right. Uh, and then the second uh, bridge, now that you're burning to know how far you're willing to go, now that is under your skin, now that you're letting me in. Again, just the, the, the melody and the, the, the phrasing there, just very, very cool. But man, oh man, that chorus just kills that song for me. Track four, Rock and Roll Hell. So Gene Simmons, Brian Adams, and Jim Valance. Yes, that Brian Adams. Uh, so this is actually a, a BTO cover. Um, you know, they changed it up um, quite a bit. I mean, it doesn't uh, doesn't sound, you know, exactly like that, that BTO version. But again, just a great slow build throughout the song. First verse, just drums and bass and Gene's vocal and the guitars kind of kick in right before the chorus. Um, and the first chorus, it's just Gene. Um, and the riff during the chorus is great, but then the second verse, you get some chugging guitars in there, some power chords, 
get added, you know, some great screams, uh, and then chorus, you know, you get some backing vocals added, uh, great solo, uh, and then the first, third verse is everything's, <laughs> everything's uh, there, and it's just a great, that's just a great, great song. And then the last song on side one, so Danger, so Paul Stanley, Adam Mitchell. This is not a good song. Um, Paul sounds great, though, which is too bad. Um, again, the guitar riff, you know, follows the melody uh, of the verse, which, again, to me, I, I just think is lazy. Uh, the bridge is decent, but, again, chorus is horrible. Um, and, again, riff, riff is following Paul, you know, during part of the chorus. It just, I don't know. That just doesn't do anything for me. So flipping the album over, so side two kicks off with I Love It Loud. Uh, Gene Simmons, Vinnie Vincent, single number one, released October 13th, 1982. Again, bombastic drum uh, intro. Um, again, fatigue factor, yes, I get it. But again, think back to the first time you heard the song. Um, you know... It's just, it's, just a great, it's just a great song, anthemic song. Uh, guitars, as I kind of mentioned, they're buried in this, need to be more out front. Um, again, that I love it uh, part before the chorus, great. Drumming throughout the whole song is, is fantastic. And again, the guitar solo, I can remember seeing the video and always thought it was funny that, I mean, Paul is all dramatic. He's like rolling on the ground, you know, during this very slow, melodic, short <laughs> solo. I mean, again, the solo fits the song, uh, but he, uh, he's, he's really uh, selling it uh, in that video, uh, which was funny. And then the false ending, you know, a la what the Beatles uh, ends and then kind of, you know, comes back in and, and then fades out track two i still love you so paul stanley vinnie vincent so wasn't a fan of this when i was 11 or 12 however old, how old i was when i first heard this you know didn't understand why it was um over the course of the 80s you know in the in the set list from creatures basically through Crazy Nights, uh, huge fan of this song now. Again, the verse delivery, the melody, the lyrics, it's all amazing. Uh, and the chorus, wow. Um, you can just really feel the emotion, feel the pain uh, from Paul during this. And then a fantastic melodic guitar solo uh, from Robin Ford. So great, great song. Track three, Killer. So Gene Simmons, Vinnie Vincent, single number two <laughs> for some reason, which makes no sense at all. Um, released November 1982. Uh, cool riff. Uh, again, not a fan of Gene's delivery really during during the song. And then the chorus is just kind of lacking uh, for me. And then track four and the last song on the album, War Machine. So Gene Simmons, Brian Adams, and Jim Valance again. So just a killer riff. Uh, you know, slower tempo, but, but heavy fist pumping. Uh, again, fantastic drumming throughout. Great verses. Uh, Gene sounds great. The chorus, love it, except for you better watch out part. I just always thought that that was kind of cheesy. Wish they could have you know, come up with something different there. 
uh, and then fantastic guitar solo uh, from Vinnie Vincent on there. So that rounds out the album. So nine tracks, five on side one and four on side two. So, you know, looking at this, you know, I'm a big fan of Creatures of the Night and Rock and Roll Hell on side one and a big fan of I Love It Loud and War Machine on side two. So then when you're left with the remaining songs, um, you know, side one, Saint and Center, you know, it's it's fine. Uh, Keep Me Coming, I, I like everything, but the chorus really kills it. And then Danger, I'm not a fan of at all. And then side two, you've got I Still Love You and Killer, which I'm a huge fan of I Still Love You. Killer, you know, not necessarily so much, but, I, you know, I would say that I Still Love You alone um, pushes it over uh, over the edge. So I'm going to go with side two over side one of Kisses, Creatures of the Night. Did anyone see the kickoff show of Kisses Alive Worldwide Tour at Tiger Stadium in 1996? Or did you see any of the shows on that first leg during July, August of 96? What are your thoughts of the albums released during the Lane Staley era of Alice in Chains? How would you rank those releases? And last but not least, what are your thoughts on Kisses' 10th studio album, Creatures of the Night? Side 1 or side two. Let us know your thoughts by emailing us at slamfestpodcast at gmail.com or request to join our private Facebook page at Slamfest Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>